Hey, Anchor family, welcome to our podcast. We wanted to thank you for listening today. We pray this message encourages you, that it inspires you, pray it builds your faith and brings you hope. Enjoy the message. A word that most churches are staying away from, which is the word prophecy. The Bible tells us that there is prophetic revelation in it And it is there for us so that we could also learn from it. Prophecy means two things in the Bible. To prophesy is to speak God's word as if it's coming from his word. What I do here on our gatherings is prophesy. That is the gift of prophesying, bringing God's word. Then there is the gift of prophesying, which is biblically speaking about the future that is to come. So there are two words for that. It is forthtelling, which is what I do when I forthtell what the Bible says. And then there's foretelling, which is this is what God has revealed is coming. In the Bible, that was often revealed by prophets men that God would reveal the future to. Now, the Bible tells us there are many false prophets and that even today we are to be looking for false prophets who would use the things that are around us to their advantage to take advantage of us. And so in these times, I would, I would feel as if I was not being a good shepherd if, it, I, if I did not help the people of this church be aware of what's happening. Now, I'm going to tell you that prophecy is something that since I was very young, me and my family would always talk about prophecy. When I would go over my, uh, my grandma's house in Second Ward, we would walk into their house, and one of my uncles, we, his name was Theo Bethel, he always had his Bible open, and he was reading prophecy, my Theo Beto, when I would go see him, I would always be interested in sitting across from him to talk about prophecy, specifically the coming, second coming of Jesus. Now listen, most churches don't want to talk about the second coming of Jesus because the second coming of Jesus is very divisive. We don't want to disappoint you by telling you this day he's coming or that month he's coming because the Bible actually tells us that no one knows the day or time and yet the Bible tells us that we can know the signs of the season just like you would look at a tree and know. Not in Houston, though. In, like, New Hampshire. The the, the little states that have nice weather. You can tell, oh, wait, fall is coming. It's the same thing. When it comes to prophecy, we can know the season. Can I tell you, this is just going to be me and you talking. Because I would love to get into, I feel like God is telling me to go into a series on prophecy. And really diving deep. But I want to make sure that you understand what this is about. The book that I fell in love with first in the Bible was the book of Daniel. When I was... 
about 18, 19 years old, my mother and one of my aunts, who they are incredible Bible teachers, took us through a study of the book of Daniel, and it changed my life, not because the book of Daniel is this encouraging book, because it's not. It is a book that actually teaches us about what it's like to be a people that's being taken over by a, 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 a country called Babylon, and then being enslaved by Babylon, and yet God speaking to his, his prophet on earth, Daniel, in that time. And it, it woke me up to the reality that no matter how difficult life is around us, God still wants to speak to us. That God would speak to someone named Daniel in the middle of being enslaved by King Nebuchadnezzar and give him hope for a future. I wanted to learn more about this God. And when I saw the things in the book of Daniel play out in my history book, I decided that I was gonna trust and believe this Bible because it was revealing things that I didn't know were possible, so we're gonna dip our toe, so to speak, in prophecy. Tonight, just kind of figuring out what is happening in the world around us, because what is happening is very important. What is happening to Israel is very important. What is happening in your country as protests happen in large cities against the nation of Israel, it is reminding us to look to the scriptures about the end times. So I don't want to scare you, but I want to I want to show you what this is all about because prophecy is beautiful. I'll tell you why prophecy is important, and I'll start with this illustration. I hate flying. Anyone in here like to fly? I hate it. I, I, I'm afraid of flying, so terrified about flying that I would have panic attacks while I was on planes. I would be in the bathroom on my knees crying the moment turbulence hit, it's just who I am. I'm, I'm awful when it comes to dealing with planes. I'm afraid of it all the time. I get it from my mama. My mom, my mom was always afraid of being on an airplane. Ask her one time if you want about the time she had to exit an airplane because she was afraid of it. She was having an anxiety attack. She had to leave. Almost like that crazy lady that we saw a couple weeks ago who was on the plane saying, that person is not real. I am out of here. That was my mama. And I have always been anxious about planes. It doesn't help that every time I'm at my mama's house, she's on the TV station TLC watching airplane disasters and close encounters with airplane crashes. It just messed me up. I'm an anxious person. Well, listen, my anxiety got turned up to level 20 when I had children, primarily when I had my first son, because I was afraid of losing my son, Micah. I was so afraid. So afraid that I did not want to get on a plane with him because I didn't want to put his life in danger. And at one point in our life, Micah was finally at a place where he could understand that his dad is anxious and he didn't want to get on a plane. And one day we were on our way in a plane and he knew I was anxious. And he actually told me, 
hey, dad, what are you going to do? Because we're about to get on a plane and you're making me nervous. He was actually very anxious about getting on a plane because of me. So I decided it's my responsibility to help my son. And so what I did is I decided to give him a picture of what he could expect. I, I, I told him, hey, Michael, we're going to go into this thing called an airport, and we're going to have our bags. But while we get into this airport, there are going to be people checking a lot of our documentation. And, and, and we got to make sure that we wear the right clothes because you want to be comfortable because they're going to make us take off our shoes. They're, he's like, my shoes? I'm like, yeah, you have to wear your shoes that have straps on them because we're going to take them off, and then we're going to put them into a container and pass them along, and then we're going to take all of our electronics, and we're going to put it into a container, and we're going to pass it along, and then we're going to walk through this weird-looking door, and we're going to stand there, and some person is going to tell us to stop, and we're going to have to stop. And we're going to have to raise our hands and look weird. And then something is going to fly around us. And then that lady is going to look. And if, we're, if she accepts what she sees, she'll tell us to come. So make sure you stand there and don't move. Just hold your hands up. And maybe that lady's going to call you. And then it's going to be up to me now to go through. I'm not going to be with you when you're with the lady. You're going to be with her and not with me and not with your family. Please don't have an anxiety attack because I can't move from the place that I'm at. And I would explain over and over, and I would tell them there's going to be men there with guns. Don't mess with them. Don't say things that are going to get daddy thrown in jail. Please understand that this is all a part of what is going to happen? And then we're going to get into the plane. We're going to walk down this aisle. We're going to make sure we don't bump into people or put our hands out and slap people as we walk. And also, we're going to sit down in our chairs, and I'm going to hand you gum. Now, I know you like to swallow gum, but you're not going to swallow it. You're going to chew it. Because when you chew gum, as we are taking off, it stops your ears from popping. And if you swallow gum, your ears are going to pop, and you're going to be afraid. So listen, you got to make sure that you chew this gum, and then we're going to go up into the air, and then they're going to tell us that we can move around, and finally, things will be okay. We went to the airport, and everything happened as I told him. We went through security. We went through the checks. We got on the plane. He chewed the gum, and halfway through the flight, he turned to me, and he said, Daddy, I wasn't afraid. I said, really? Oh, man. Why weren't you afraid? He said, I wasn't afraid because you told me what was going to happen. And it happened just like you said. And so I was not afraid because I knew that you knew what was going to happen. And so I knew you were with me. Let me tell you a little bit about prophecy. The reason that prophecy is important for you and me today is because our Heavenly Father has revealed to us what is going to happen. Our Heavenly Father has told us what to expect. And He has given us, through this revelation, a reason for us to have confidence today that just as what his word is saying will happen, it will happen 
for us and that we will never be alone. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That is prophetic. Jesus is telling you and me, this is something you can look forward to as things get difficult in the future, that I am with you even until the end of the age. There is a confidence that we can have right now, no matter how crazy things get, and that is founded on the fact that we aren't alone. It's founded on the fact that he is with us even until the end of the world. And he's revealed this to us in his word. Prophecy gives us confidence to trust God because he knows what is happening tomorrow, today. Prophecy is not just about a hope for tomorrow, but it actually gives us hope today because we know what's going to happen today. Just like you ask Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And you listen to her forecast and you go to bed planning what you're going to wear before you step out. You and I can have the same confidence about today, about tomorrow, about next week, when it comes to this world and what we face. Because prophecy doesn't just give us hope for tomorrow, it gives us hope for today. And I know that that day for my son at that airport was very confusing. It was confusing for him, but he had confidence and he wasn't afraid because he knew that his father had revealed to him what was going to happen. And you and I, we can have confidence in our God that no matter what trouble we face or what news report you hear, he is in control. In control. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 there's a scripture towards the end of Revelation that I want to share with you before we get into our main scripture. But I, I want you to read this because I want you to understand where we're headed. Revelation is a book about the end of time. And this is what it says in Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Now, I'll, I'll, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Not yet, but I want to show you something. This is Revelation chapter 19, and John is on the island of Patmos, and he is seeing this revelation, and it says, And behold, he saw somebody sitting on a white horse. This person also judges and wages war. This person is Jesus. Revelation is telling us that in the future, Jesus is going to sit on a white horse and he is going to wage war and he is going to judge. This is showing us the day that Jesus comes back to save the nation of Israel. This is the moment where Jesus comes to fight off all of those who are fighting against the nation of Israel and he wages war against every nation that has come against it, which is why, as, a, as an American, I want to be for Israel. I don't want Jesus waging war against me. 
That's why it is important for us to be for Israel. Do you remember what God told Abraham about what he will do to those people who bless the, the nation of Israel and Abraham? He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, his lineage and his people. It is in this point in Revelation 19 that Jesus comes, and he comes to wage war and to judge as he comes back. And I want you to notice something, and we'll, run out, we'll get out of Revelation because I know just the name Revelation is probably scaring y'all. It says he's on a white horse. This is much different than when we first saw Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because when he entered on a donkey, he came as a servant. It was prophesied by the prophets that the Messiah would come on a donkey to signify that he would be a servant. And so when Jesus sat on a donkey, he was fulfilling prophecy, and yet everyone missed it. I want to submit to you today that none of us and no one on this planet will miss this. Jesus will no longer be coming on a donkey, but on a white horse, which is symbolic for a military commander who is riding in victory. Jesus is going to come one day, and he is going to ride a horse, symbolically saying that he is a conqueror, and he is here to wage war. But I don't want to go there yet. I want you to see what they call Jesus. It says, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and true. Now, I want you to understand that what the Bible is giving us are titles for Jesus. He is faithful and true. I don't know about you, but it encourages me to know that in the future, when Jesus comes back, we will all be calling Jesus faithful and true. I, I want you to understand why, to me, that's so important for us today as we dive into Hebrews. Because the Bible is saying that in the future, he's going to be called faithful. The reason he's going to be called faithful tomorrow is because he was faithful today. Hallelujah. The reason in the future that we can call Jesus faithful tomorrow is because today in the moments that we are most afraid, he is still faithful and we can count on him. It is important for us to know as we dive into prophecy and this kind of scripture that today we are leaning on a faithful God, that we are calling on a faithful and true Savior that we can reach out to at any time, no matter the difficulty, because the difficulty you face now already happened at this point, and he's faithful. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me, so we don't have to let our hearts be troubled. Jesus told his disciples, do not let, do not let, meaning it's up to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. If you're not careful in moments like this, you can find yourself being weighed down with trouble, weighed down because of the, 
the instability of what we see around us, weighed down because we don't know what tomorrow holds, weighed down by the way this world is operating. And, and I have felt that way this week, weighed down. And I am trying to hold on to the fact that he is faithful, that he is true. And Jesus said, in those moments, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. So we today have to trust Jesus in these moments. I know it's not easy. And I know it seems like something crazy is about to happen. We trust Jesus. Prophecy gives us confidence. I'm going to give you one more before we get into Hebrews. Prophecy does more than just give us confidence. Prophecy, it actually reveals Jesus. That's what it does. Whether we believe it or not, prophecy was there at the very beginning in, in the book of Genesis when, when God told Adam that his seed was going to come and it was going to crush the head of the snake. It is called the Proto-Evangelion. Scholars call it that, meaning it is the first gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. In Genesis, there was a prophecy that Jesus was going to come. And that Jesus, since, listen, you're not hearing me. Since Adam and Eve, they were looking for Jesus. You don't hear me or you'd be shouting. Since Adam and Eve, they have been looking forward to Jesus. Do you know that if you look at, yes, they looked for Jesus because God gave them the prophecy, your seed will come. Do you know that Adam assumed that his son that was coming next was going to be Jesus? I won't go into it right now, but you will see it in the scripture. He thought that his son was the Lord. He was believing and trusting in the second coming of the Lord in his life, Jesus. The first coming, sorry. If Adam, who walked with God, who communed with him in the garden, still looked for Jesus, how much more should we be looking for Jesus now? We should be waiting for him. It tells us, that prophecy reveals Jesus. There was a, a story after Jesus died and resurrected. There were some men. They were on what is called the Emmaus Road. The Emmaus Road was a seven-mile road that these two men were walking on. It's in Luke chapter 24. I won't have it up for you, but you can look it up. Luke chapter 24, 17 through 22. The Bible says that they were looking sad because Jesus had died, and they thought, that Jesus was going to be the savior of the nation. Jesus reveals himself to them on the road, and they don't recognize him. And the Bible tells us in verse 17 that they're looking sad, and they say in verse 21, as Jesus talks to them and says, why are you sad? They said, we had hoped. We had hoped that this Jesus was going to be the savior. They lost their hopes because it looked like Jesus had lost the fight. And so Jesus went to them specifically to reveal himself to them because they had lost hope. That encourages me to know that my Savior, whenever I feel that he has failed, is still looking out for me. And he's still coming after me. 
even if I'm wrong, and even if I'm feeling disappointed in him. It says that they said, we had hoped. They lost it. They had no more hope, and Jesus met them. And this is what he tells us in verse 27. It says, actually, that Jesus, starting with Moses and the prophets, revealed himself to them. Don't miss it. He, he took the scripture they had, the, the scripture of Moses, and that's the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, and then he went into the prophets to reveal himself to them. So where can we find Jesus? In prophecy. He used prophecy to reveal himself to them. So I just want you to understand that as we, as we dive into prophecy, because I actually want to do it. I don't know if y'all are ready for it, but I feel like this, this move of God to get me into this prophetic scripture for us and, and, and diving into a deeper sense, I think that God would reveal himself to us in more powerful ways. Back around 2005, 2006, I owned a red, I think 1997 Jeep Grand Cherokee. That thing was awful. It was awful. I didn't have any money. I had this Jeep Grand Cherokee because it was cash. And it had the worst, like, shocks. Whenever I would drive it over 45 miles an hour, it would shake. And I'm not just talking about, like, shaking a little bit. The whole car would shake. So much so that things would fall apart and fall off because of the shaking. The shaking was so bad, I had to, I had to make sure that I actually drove the speed limit. Because if I went over the speed limit, my car wasn't going to make it. I remember I struggled so much being in that car because of the amount of shaking that was happening in that vehicle. In the scripture we're in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29, there's shaking happening. A very distinct shaking. And in this shaking we get to see what the Lord wants to tell us about the things that are happening today. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, the writer of the book of Hebrews, people think it's Paul. We don't really know. People think that it's Paul. Paul is writing to Hebrews, literally Hebrew people, Jews, who have now become Christians. This is not a very easy book to go through. It's actually it's actually very complex because the author is writing to Jews who had become Christians and at this moment they are facing so much tribulation and difficulty that they want to give up. They want to give up and go back to their old way of living following the old covenant, being under the law. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is warning them not to do that. And this is what he says in verse 25. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Don't refuse God when he's speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him 
who warned them on earth. He is referring to the time when God revealed himself on Mount Sinai and spoke to the people. And the Bible says that when he warned them about their, about their sin through Moses, the, the world shook because thunder rolled and the mountain quaked. He says he warned them on earth much less us, we, he is saying to the Hebrews, we will escape who turn away from him as he warns from where? Heaven. There are warnings that come from heaven. And the Bible tells us that we should not refuse it or turn away from the warnings. It says in verse 25, that someone is speaking and that person is God. And God is speaking specifically warnings. Verse 26, and his voice shook the earth then. He is talking about Mount Sinai. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet one more time I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. There is a great shaking that is happening, what this author is saying. But it is not just a shaking on earth, it is a shaking in heaven. I want you to catch this, that God speaks, and when he speaks, things shake. I don't know that you see it yet, but I want you to catch it. When we think about God speaking, we primarily think about God speaking to us through his word his written word, his Bible, which is exactly how we primarily go about hearing from God. And yet the writer of Hebrews is saying that God also speaks from heaven warnings to us through things that cause shakings. God speaks through his word, but he also speaks through shakings. When God wants to grab the attention of his people, he allows shakings. If there is a disturbance, if there is, there is trouble in the world, it is God speaking through that shaking to get the attention of his people. The Bible tells us that God would allow these kinds of disturbances throughout the Old Testament. We won't go through it now, but they're, they're all over the Old Testament where God would do something so, so out of this world to get people's attention because they weren't paying attention to him and his primary, primary way of speaking, which was his word or his prophets. So then God would allow catastrophe and struggle to happen to get people's attention. So he's saying that God speaks, but he doesn't just speak through his word. He speaks in a way that shakes the whole earth. He shakes it. And I think we've seen God speaking to us to get our attention. We've seen it. I think we've seen God speaking to his people. We've seen it, I think, way back. It started, I believe, we were just discussing this, me and Adrian and Josh and in, in the room over here. We think it, that God really started to shake up this world on 9-11. Everything changed after 
Nothing was the same after 9-11. I believe that the Lord allowed that to happen to wake his people up, to speak to us. We've seen it not just through things like 9-11, but through things like COVID. Through the, thi- through the global pandemic that is COVID, that shakeup in this world, God trying to get our attention, not just COVID, but the war in Israel. Now listen, don't get it twisted. Israel has been fighting for its life since the times of Genesis chapter 23. It's always fighting. And like Adrian said earlier to me, they will always be fighting. But now we see them at war, which they haven't been in in 50 years. Declared war. And the Bible says that things like this are the way that God shakes things up to get his people's attention. When God is speaking this way, what he is saying is, hey, listen closely to me because the regular way of communications doesn't seem to work anymore. Going to church, having little devotionals, having little meals with our friends left and right to to go over a prayer. Obviously, you're missing the reality of what I'm trying to show you. And if you don't want to believe it, I'll just say it to you. We are in a trend in America, in in our way of doing church that is so laid back. We don't really see the importance of God's scripture. We don't really see the importance of the imminency of Jesus, that he's coming back again. We don't really see the importance of what it's like to serve our fellow man and serve others selfishly. We don't do that. And so the word is, 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 I believe, teaching us here that God is using all of this to shake up the earth, to wake up God's people. God is saying, I need to shake something because I have something important that I need for you to hear. God is allowing this to happen because he wants to wake his church up to what he wants us to hear him saying now. What's he saying? It's in verse 27. This expression, he says, yet once more, it denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as created things so that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. What is God saying? You're too attached to some things. You're too comfortable and you're too attached to the things that don't matter most. They're created things and those created things, when I cause a shaking, they're going to shake. And if you're not careful, you're going to shake because you're too attached to those created things. And because of the created things being so important to you, you're shaking. It's coming because you're not holding on to the most important thing. The shaking that you feel in your life, the shaking that you wrestle with in your life, all of it is because Somehow, some way, you are attached to something that is unstable. So the shaking of this world is now working its way 
into your life? Have you ever put your hand on a, uh, a washing machine that is old and almost broken, and uh, when it's on the, the spin cycle, everything is all over the place? No broke people in here. Okay. <laughs> I know what it's like to be woken up by a broke-down washing machine. You put your hand on that, your whole hand is shaking. Your arm is shaking. Why? Because you're holding on to something that's shakable. If you were holding on to something that's unshakable, you wouldn't shake. What he's saying in 27 is I need to remove some things. Did you catch it? This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing. The removing of those things which can be shaken. Sometimes our shaking is a sign of God subtracting. Oh, come on. That's actually good. I came up with it on the spot. The shaking that's happening in your life is God subtracting some things that you don't need, that you've become too reliant on, and he wants to shift your focus from the things that can be shaken, created things, what are they? You know them. I don't have to answer it. Is it money? Is it position? Is it a new home? Is it some kind of popularity? Is it status? Is it sex? What is it? Is it a feeling? Is it achieving a specific number in your bank account? All of those things, they're created. And if you're grasping onto them, when this world shakes, you'll shake with it. So what he's saying is, the things that can be shaken need to be removed. The things that are happening in this world are here to remind us to start letting things go. That's what this scripture is telling us. We're not going to get into all the symbolism of Revelation and Daniel if you can't get this first. How can we talk about the coming of Jesus and all of the symbolism and all the difficult things that we have to unpack that most scholars still struggle with? If we struggle with subtraction, I can't let that go. I won't let that go. I can't stop that. I want to do what I want to do. I only will do what I feel like doing. He says, keep doing that. That's why your life is shaking all about. Did I just sing the hokey pokey? And I shake it all? Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you the things that come in and out of my head. He says, you're too attached to things that you think are reliable, but they're not. And I want you to focus on something spiritual, so I'm shaking the physical. If ever you're in the middle of something shaking your world, move from the physical created thing to focusing on a spiritual thing. That's what God is about to reveal to us in this verse. I am removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. He's saying there are some things that can't be shaken. And the only way you're going to experience that is by letting go of what can. 
Think of it this way. I told you I was afraid of airplanes. I am. But do you know I'm also afraid of earthquakes? I am afraid of earthquakes. The earth shaking and moving. Do you know that when I'm on a plane, I have one less worry? Even though I'm worried about planes, I'm not worried about earthquakes. You want to know why? Because I'm in the air. And it doesn't matter what's happening on earth when I'm on another level. Oh, you don't see it. What he is trying to tell us is, if you would just shift your priorities and perspective to heavenly things, you won't be moved by the earthly things. It could be shaking all about, and the hokey pokey won't bother you because you're in heavenly places. Come on. That's good preaching right there. He says, it can't be shaken. And that's the thing that you need to hold on to. Well, what is that thing? Here we go. Right there. The Bible never, never leaves us sitting there without an answer. It says verse 28. Therefore, after all of this, since we what? Receive a kingdom. Ooh, what is the unshakable thing that we should be focusing on? The kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, not your bank account, not what you want to work with and do later, not whether the Astros will win tomorrow, which I believe they will. The kingdom. Listen, if your church, this church that we are in, is not about the kingdom, be careful because it's going to shake. We will always be about the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God, growing the kingdom of God, spreading the gospel and doing what we have to do for the furthering of the kingdom of God. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, that's the answer. You want to experience a life that isn't shaken, hold on to the kingdom, focus on the kingdom. Look towards the kingdom of God, the things that God wants to do, and that is bring his kingdom here on earth. And listen, all of the shaking that's happening is only revealing the coming of God's kingdom. And because of the coming of God's kingdom, what should your focus be on? The kingdom of God. God's greatest desire is the expansion of his kingdom. Jesus' first sermon on earth was the kingdom of God is near. God allows a disturbance to happen so that you and I would, would see the thing that can't be shaken. And that thing is the kingdom of God. If there is one place in the world that shouldn't shake, shouldn't shake when trouble happens in the Middle East, that shouldn't shake when there are protests all over the nation. It's God's church. We should not be shaken because we're attached and holding on to his kingdom. Come on, you can put your hands together. He wants to reveal 
to us his unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that isn't disturbed by what's happening around us. He knows that we need this kingdom. How do you do it? We've been given the kingdom. It says we have received it, but are we pursuing it? I think I've told you before that I don't like fishing. I don't like it. It's just not who I am. But can I tell you, I've learned some things about fishing and about storms when you fish. Do you know that when there is a disturbance on the water of a lake or an ocean, if there's rain coming and wind, typically the disturbance makes its way down to about 25 feet. That's about typical. So whenever there is a disturbance up above, the water is disturbed for about 25 feet. Do you know what fish do when this disturbance happens? They go down to 26 feet because the disturbance drove them deeper. You know, it's really easy to be a surface level Christian today. It's really easy to when disturbance happens, to just stay on the surface. And what I'm calling you to do is to go deeper. Quit making excuses. And if we're honest, we all make excuses. The only way those fish get away from the disturbance is to make their way deeper. We gotta go deeper. We got to go deeper in search of God's word, deeper in search of discipleship, deeper in search of what is happening in the world around us, deeper in our sense of sacrifice because we're selfish people, deeper in our sense of purpose for what we are to do when it comes to spreading the gospel. We're very comfortable in our chairs. We don't like telling people about Jesus. It's time for us to go deeper and to spread this gospel. The Bible tells us that that is what God is trying to do. He is allowing this this disruption to happen so that it would drive us deeper, deeper into a place of, of safety so that when trouble comes, we're safe. This section of scripture is about the kingdom of God. The author is telling us That the stability you need is not found in your bank account or your job security. It's found in the kingdom of God. The stability you need is not found in being married or having kids or buying a home. It is found in your focus in the kingdom of God. And if you try to find your stability in anything else, when it shakes, so will you. So I'm going to ask you a question. What are you holding on to? What are you too attached to? We're too cultural. We're too attached to the things of this world. And what God is doing today is he's calling his church to a deeper commitment to the kingdom. 
God has allowed these things to happen to reveal to us that the kingdom of God is coming and he wants us to understand that he is at work. He is setting things up in order so that Jesus would come back just like in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He is setting up these wars against Israel so that he could come back and now he wants us to go deeper. So now what? Now what do we do? Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, here it is, let us. He's like, here's what we gotta do. You ready? You gotta know. I'm not just here to give you Bible. You gotta take some stuff into your life. You gotta apply it. I could just sit here and read the Bible and give you knowledge, but I'm here to give you something that I hope you would be able to reciprocate into your life. Now, because of all of this, verse 28, let us show gratitude. That word literally means give thanks. How do I give thanks when the world around me is shaken? We don't give thanks because of the pain. We give thanks because of the purpose that comes out of the pain. The revelation that's coming. We're not grateful for the things that we that we wrestle with and for the things that hurt us, we're, we're show gratitude even in what is insufficient in our lives. The Bible tells us that Jesus was feeding 5,000 people. It's closer to about 20,000 people, and yet he did not have enough food. The Bible said he asked the disciples, can someone help me feed these people? They gave him, they gave him some crackers and some sardines, and the Bible says Jesus didn't get mad. Jesus didn't get mad, he didn't fuss, he didn't yell, he didn't tell him, go find me more food. He gave thanks for what he had. The Bible says he got it, he gave thanks. He gave thanks, even when what was in front of him seemed insufficient. He gave thanks for what heaven would do in the insufficiency on earth, because heaven was gonna intervene. So when the world falls apart, it's time for us to give thanks. Not because what we have is, is worthy or that it's good or that it makes us feel great, but because our eyes are on the kingdom of God and that is unshakable. So we give thanks. Do you live a life of gratitude? I don't, let's be honest. Most of us, we complain all day. Most of our prayers are filled with complaints. Very, very, oh yeah, thank you for what you did and thank you for my family, thank you for this day and thank you for this food and making a nourishment to my body. That's about the extent. Are you grateful? He says, because of all of this that's happening, learn to give thanks. Learn to be a person who's grateful every day for the life that God gave you. Every day for the people that are in your life. Every day for the provision he's given you. Every day learn to be grateful. Be grateful. But then he says, when the world is falling apart, we give thanks. But also, he says, we do something else. He says, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. He says, don't just show gratitude Start serving. I'm gonna let that sit for a second. 
Don't just be, we could probably leave us. Oh, I can learn to be grateful. I can learn to say thank you, Lord. I can give God, I can listen to a couple praise songs on my way to work. But can you offer him service? Now, most of us, we want God to do for us. And yet this scripture is saying he's waiting for you to do something for him. Not because you need to be saved. Not because he wants you to do it to earn something. What does it say? As an acceptable service. Just like here, I'm just going to serve you in this acceptable way. You know, the book of, I think it's Hebrews, says, offer your life as a living sacrifice, for this is your, you know it, reasonable act of service. Giving your life to Jesus is a reasonable thing to do. For the things that he's done for you, the things he's forgiven you of, the blessings he's done for you, the danger he's kept you from, it's reasonable to give yourself as a sacrifice. Christians, we don't want to hear that because we're selfish. And as your pastor, I'm going to call you selfish because it's the truth. Acceptable service. We serve him. He says, give thanks and get to work. Now that you know all this, give thanks and get to work. Now that the world is collapsing, get to work. Now that there's trouble in Israel, get to work. Now that there's trouble on the streets, on the biggest cities in this nation, get to work. Now that there's trouble in your city, in your school, in your place of work, get to work. People need us working now more than ever. People need to see God's servants manifesting stability. We got to get to work. What are we waiting on? Quit telling me coming to church once a month is work. Quit telling me, man, I, I don't know if I can make it to house church. It's an accept, it's just the reasonable thing. It's the least you can do. It's the least we can do. And I'm challenging you now as this world starts to collapse around us that we would offer more than gratitude, but that we would get to work, that we would spread the gospel to every street. And listen, even though we're in this place and it's not our own, we are still about our mission. Every street, every person. That didn't stop when we walked through these doors. This is the mantra of this church. This is what we're about. Spreading the gospel to every street and every person. That's what we have to do. And yet it's not done. Let me get the band up here. I'm going to end right here. It says, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and what? With awe. Why? Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Now listen. Many people have used this scripture to beat people over the head when it comes to the reality of who God is. See, God is angry. See, 
God is going to destroy us. If we don't do these things, he's going to consume us. It's actually not what he's saying. And I know you've been in church where it's like, we got to serve, we got to serve, we got to do things, we got to be faithful, we got to do it, or else God's going to punish us. Or else we're going to get to judgment day and God's going to throw us in hell because we didn't do enough. That's not what the scripture is saying. He's actually taking these people out of that mindset. They want to go back to that mindset. They're like, we're, we're being persecuted for what we believe, so we want to go back to the mindset of having to work. He said, no, no, no. I want you to understand why we serve, why we're grateful, why we do these things. is because he's a consuming fire. What does that mean? Symbolism. It's symbolism. That, those words, consuming, fire, are the words used in the Old Testament for the sacrifice that would happen on top of an altar. Whenever there was a sacrifice that was given on an altar, they would light it on fire and burn it it was called a burnt offering. It was the highest level of sacrifice because what you sacrificed was going to become ash. You were giving all of it to God. Isn't it funny that in this scripture, when it's teaching us about the end times and about the coming of God and, and the shaking of the world and our call to be grateful and working without excuse for the sake of God's kingdom, that he would say, do all of this for this reason, because he's a consuming fire, and to teach us that it is primarily our way of worshiping him because of what he's done for us on an altar. What he's saying is, is the reason, the reason that you should do all of this is because of the stuff that happens on an altar. What happens on an altar? You find forgiveness. What happens on an altar? Second chances. What happens on an altar when something is sacrificed? Restoration, forgiveness, hope. He's saying you should do this because our God is a consuming fire and he consumes sacrifices. Jesus, you should do this because of Jesus. You should go out and spread the gospel. You should go out and talk to your neighbors. You should go out and tell people the good news of Jesus because this world is shaking and you're clinging to the only thing that's unshakable and that is all made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why when things are hard, we still tell people about the, the savior of our world, about the only hope that we trust in. So guess what? Time to let go of some things and start holding on to what's important, which is the coming kingdom of our savior. And this church 
will be clinging to that because we don't want to be shaken. And from this, I believe into our community will come gratitude flowing from this place. Not just gratitude for the sake of it, but because we're grateful for what Jesus did on an altar, where Jesus took our place, where Jesus made us recipients of a kingdom. You are heirs to a kingdom because of what God did as a consuming fire for Jesus. I'm going to challenge you. Stop making excuses. We make them all the time. We're too busy. We got things and I don't like that. Now listen, this world is shaking. And this world needs to see the unshakable Jesus inside of you. And maybe you need to see it first before you can give it to someone else. Give them a chance. Give them, I can't tell people I'm subtraction. They call it addition by subtraction. What are some things you need to let go of? Won't you stand with me and let us pray? Heavenly Father, we know that your word is a revelation. We're so grateful that you spoke to us today. We're so grateful that you want to reveal to us that we have been trusting in things that are going to let us down. Today, we choose your kingdom. Today, we choose your purpose. Today, we put aside selfishness and we put on selflessness. And today, Lord, we give thanks for Jesus, for what he did on that altar. Today, we give thanks that you are a consuming fire. And Jesus was the sufficient sacrifice for us Today we declare that this place will be an unshakable house for the world to run to when things are shaken. That we will be a house of safety for those running because of the terror and destruction that happens around us. We trust you. We trust you. We're grateful. And we say today, put us to work. Put us to work in our homes. Put us to work in our jobs, in our schools. Put us to work in this city. And may our light so shine before men that they would see your son Jesus in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and listening to this message. We trust that God will use this to speak to you and meet you where you are. Thank you so much for supporting this church through listening to us on Spotify. You can continue to stay connected with us to be in the know about what's happening here at The Anchor by following us on Facebook and Instagram at YourAnchorHTX. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, 
we invite you to visit our site at youranchor.org give. It's because of you and your generosity that we can reach the lost and deliver the hope of Jesus to people around the world. So we thank you. Anchor family, we love you. We are praying for you. And we will see you next week.